All right. Well, we are in our series on Proverbs, and I just felt this weekend was a great weekend to speak about the love of the Father. And so if you've got notes or a pen or paper or you're taking it on your phone, you could just write down the love of the Father. And then I'm going to talk to you from Proverbs about wisdom that God gave us as our Father and the way that He's called us. Uh, in our world where there's so much hurt, so much fatherlessness, pain, brokenness, to really be, um, especially the men in the room, to carry that role of the father. No matter what kind of, you know, life you've grown up with, no matter what season you're in, God has a calling for us. So if you've got a Bible, go to Proverbs 22, verse 6. 22, verse 6. As you're turning there, I just want to shout out all the dads in this Saturday night service. You know, I was looking around the room, and I just love all of the fathers represented in this specific service. When I see you here, many of you come consistently. This is your service, and I just want to say thank you for being pillars in this house on a Saturday night, showing up, loving God, loving people, getting in church, getting your family in church, getting you and your spouse together in church, or maybe they're getting you into church. Either way, you're here. And we are so glad you're here. Can we give it up for all the dads in the room tonight? Come on, some amazing dads all over this room. We love you, we honor you, we are thankful for you. And I had a great father still do. He's up in heaven. Just as my mom was talking about him, I want to throw up a couple pictures of my dad because tonight I want to reference some things that he did in my life and our family's lives. There he is at graduation. You can just go through those pictures, just scroll through them. And uh, just the kind of father that he was, you know, there is no perfect dad here on earth, but there are dads who show up. There are dads who speak the word. There are dads who pray with you. There are dads who will listen to you. There are dads who will give you two thumbs up at a sports game. And, you know, I'm so thankful for the father. That's a funny picture. The father that he is, that he was to me. And then now Ashley and I, we have five kids. So if you've never uh, heard this, which I think I say it every single week, we have five kids, which means that we need your prayers every single day. But we love our children. We have an amazing um, just family. And so I want to show some of our kids. We got three boys. So we got Liam, Beniah, Mac, and then we got two girls, Ellie and Gianna. And they are a bundle of fun, constantly keeping us on our toes, constantly waking us up early, keeping us up late. And uh, they are just a joy. We love our children. How many just love your kids? Come on. How many of your kids love your parents? You just love your dad. You're here with them. Well, if you got a Bible, go to Proverbs 22, verse 6, and this is what the wisest man in his time said. He said, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, God, about that verse and about all of the word that you've spoken, God, to us as parents, as leaders, God, as a community, as a family unit, and Lord, just remind us of the power of your word, God, that it does not return void. No matter where we go, no matter what happens in our life, that your word always produces what you intend for it to produce. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much, Carlos. Y'all, right now we're seeing a rise of a war on men, and I think we've seen this for many years, but it's only increased um, in the most recent year, we've seen just a target on masculinity, on manhood. 
Uh, it seems like our culture, our society is obsessed with trying to demasculate men, to trying to steal the role of men in society and trying to redefine men, trying to redefine who we are and apart from God's word. How many of y'all think the world needs what God has to say about men, right? If he's the one that created us, we should probably listen to what he has to say, not what Target or Disney or Budweiser or any other company out there has to say about men. And I'm just going to speak the truth, so if you don't like it, <laughs> men are on the hit list of hell. Really, Satan is after men. In fact, from the very beginning, the first genocide was aimed at men. When you look at what did Pharaoh try to do when Hebrews started multiplying, he said, we're going to kill every male baby. Then another genocide happens hundreds of years later, and it's right when Jesus was born. And King Herod says, we're going to kill every male baby. Why was the world obsessed with killing men? Because there's, there's a calling on men. There is a purpose for men. There is a role for men that God has in society. Manhood matters. Masculinity makes a difference. This is why society's trying to stop it right now. And here's, here's the truth. If you were to look at what would happen if men were removed from society, if you removed men, well, if you removed men, you remove fathers. And here's what's happening right now. According to 72.2% of the U.S. population, fatherlessness is the most significant family social problem facing America. There was a, um, there was a survey that was done in 130 countries about fatherlessness and single-parent homes. And America ranked as the number one country of the most fatherless homes. So our country ranks as the, the top country of fatherlessness. Now, here's what happens in these fatherless homes. 63% of the suicides that happen in America are connected to fatherless homes. Prisons are triple the size men in prison than there are Women, which means it's pulling fathers away from kids. 85% of children with behavioral problems are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Fatherless children have more trouble academically, and they score poorly on tests of reading, mathematics, thinking skills. Y'all, here's the point. If Satan wins in his attempt to try to remove fathers and try to remove men and remove manhood and masculinity, the stakes are high. The enemy is after the nuclear family. This is why we're seeing this rise of confusion in our society. I remember seeing this movie years ago called The Maze Runner. And in the movie, it was a group of boys who were trying to find their way through a maze. And only a few boys made it through the maze. There was a lot of boys that died in the maze. They, they were taken out because the maze was so confusing and it was so difficult and there were so many different twists and turns and unexpected problems that they would face and they didn't know how to get through the maze. And at the end of the movie, I realized this is a picture of what it's like in our current society with boys trying to transition to become men. By the way, the transition for boys is not to girls, but to become men. I say that not jokingly. I'm saying that because the devil is trying to mess up the transition. Transitions are important. 
Transitions are a key to our society growing and being who God's called us to be. Transitions for you and me are important. But if the enemy can get in the middle of the transition and confuse kids in the maze and they don't make it out on the other side, then we see a society that is plagued by fatherlessness and continues to add to the mental health problems, the emotional health problems, the increase in prisons. I know this weekend you may not have come for all the negative stats, and we're going to get into the positive stuff, but I need to build up for you the case for the father. We need to understand the power and the purpose of men in the church. Men, we need you. Your presence matters. Your manhood matters. Your masculinity matters. By the way, dads who attend church, statistics show, dads who attend church, men who attend church, make a stronger impact in their homes, have a stronger legacy leaving behind for their kids to actually attend church when their dad passes away. What we do matters more than what we say. So when we, when we show our kids the consistency of we're going to go to church. Yeah, but I don't like this series. We're going to go to church. Well, they're not singing my favorite song. We're going to go to church. It's raining outside. We're going to go to church. But there's a good football game on TV. We're going to go to church. When you make a priority of things that matter, 20 years later, guess what kids do? They follow our example. Consistency makes a difference. Here's the good news. If you feel like you've, you've lived a bad example this day, from this day forward, you can live a better example. I can live a better example. Don't get hung up on yesterday's regrets and mistakes. Start today. Dads who read their Bible, dads who pray, leave a greater legacy for their children. Statistics show this. Why am I sharing this? Because there is no perfect man in the room. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no man who's got it all figured out in the room. All of us need a savior. The greatest father is not anyone here. It's our father in heaven. But once we understand why his love and his wisdom and his discipline and his training in our lives matters in the way that we convey it to the next generation, we can raise up a future generation where kids know who they are. They're not running in confusion in their 30s, 40s, and 50s trying to figure out what's going on with their life. We can raise up a generation who loves God, loves the church, loves each other, and walks in authority and courage and boldness and shows up to their jobs and shows up for their spouses and loves their children. How many of y'all want to see our world become a little bit better, our country become a little bit better? It starts right here. We're not waiting on the White House to figure this out. It's the church house. It's fathers in the church house rising up. We need a generation of men who are willing to rise up, show up, and surrender. It's possible to be a male and not be a man. There is a true calling on men that God has in his word. God is calling all of us. In Philemon 1 verse 10, Philemon 1 verse 10, Paul the apostle was like a spiritual father. By the way, you don't have to be a biological father to be a father in someone's life. There was a father in my life that wasn't my biological father. His name was Gordon Fritz. And he was like another father in me and John's life. I called my brother today and I said, John, I, I got this sermon. Here's where I'm at. I just wonder if there's any other thoughts to this. He said, don't forget to mention Gordon. I said, what do you mean? He said, 
Paul, we had dad, yes, but we had other men in the church that rose up as non-biological fathers that served alongside dad to make an impact in our lives. This is why mentors matter. In single parent homes in this church, we need more Gordons. He said, you remember how Gordon used to pick us up when mom and dad were out of town on mission trips? Gordon would take us to an auction and tell us about how a cow is worth this much or a bull is worth this much. And we didn't think much of it. And then he would take us to junkyards. I was like, yeah, why did he take us to junkyards? He was like, because he was trying to teach us the power of value. That one man's trash is another man's treasure. And no matter how discarded you are, God can still do something great through you. He would take junk from a junkyard and then he would remodel it and refine it and renew it and reuse it for something great. And he was teaching us lessons, but he was not our biological father. Paul the apostle told Philemon in 1 verse 10, I became a father. I became a father. Go to verse 12. I became a father to this. He says, I'm sending this son back to you. I've been a dad to him. I've poured into him. I've discipled him. This is the calling of all men to pour into the next generation, to, to spend time with them, to build a heart connection, to, to be there for sons. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. Is it okay if I give you some more scriptures on this? 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 12. Go ahead and turn there. If you have that, throw it up on the screen. If not, I'll open up to it. I just don't have it memorized. There it is. He says, here's our calling, to encourage, to comfort, and to urge the next generation to live lives worthy of God who calls us into the kingdom and glory. One of the, the highest callings of a father is to encourage, to comfort, to be there for children. Anybody can do this. You might go, man, I didn't have a good disciplinarian father growing up. But, but listen, we don't need something to start something. We can start today. We can start today. We can learn today. We can begin to learn how to be an encourager, how to be a comforter, how to be someone that urges people. There were times where I would start to run out on a street to chase a ball, and my dad would say, stop! Now, if I, as a kid, if I was so sensitive and I go, why are you screaming at me? My dad would be like, because I don't want you to die. There's a car coming down the street. Sometimes you have to urge sons and daughters to get out of the wrong path and pull them back on the right path. So there's encouragement, there's comforting, there's urging, there's this training. This, this is what Proverbs is talking about, train a child up in the way he should go. Some of y'all have heard my testimony. My dad and mom raised me to read the Bible and to speak the word of God. And in a little bit, I'm going to share a couple of points there on that. But there was a season in my life where I got really discouraged and I, I fell into a depression. And I write about this in the new book that I'm, I just uh, wrote that's coming out, Mind Games. But in this season, I was in such a depression that one night I found myself standing over a highway bridge and just contemplating life and not knowing what to do. And I was so overwhelmed with a sense of sadness and grief and loss and just confusion and you could grow up in the church and you can face all these things. It's not just the unchurched that deal with depression. It's good church going people. Smith Wigglesworth dealt with depression. Elijah dealt with depression. He was suicidal. Peter dealt with depression. Jeremiah, all the prophets throughout the Bible dealt with seasons of feeling overwhelmed with grief, sadness to the point of depression. 
So here I was thinking I'm the only one going through this. No one in the Bible ever faced depression. Everyone that I've ever known in my life is always perfect, happy, smiling, and never has a problem. Wrong. (laughs) But I was standing there and I was listening to the lies of the enemy. And I almost believed it. I was looking over that highway overpass and I was seeing semi-trucks come. And I was almost about to make a very foolish, permanent decision during a temporary season. Never make a permanent decision during a temporary season. God loves you way more than whatever you think he, he can't get over. Whatever sin or problem or pain that you're walking through, he loves you too much. But there I was, believing the lies of the enemy. And then all of a sudden, it was like raindrops started hitting my head. Scriptures, I will live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I will. Greater is he who lives in me than he that lives in this world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I refuse, right? Like, I started thinking about Bible passages and stories and scriptures. And all of a sudden, I backed away from that bridge and I said, no, Satan, not today, not any day in my future. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm getting out of this depression. I'm speaking life. My best days are still in front of me. God is not finished with me yet. Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Christ Jesus. I talked myself out of that depression. Why? Where did it come from? I had a father who trained me. I had parents who trained me. The Bible says, train a child up in the way he should go. And when he is old, he might be out on a bridge some point. He might be in a very dark place some point. But at some point, he's going to wake up and go, Hold on, mama raised me with Philippians. Daddy raised me in church. They made me come to youth group. They made me show up on Saturday nights. Don't underestimate the power of training in this season because someday, 20 years from now, you'll be glad you trained them in church. So I'm gonna give you a quick few things that my dad taught me. I don't know if we got this list, we could throw it up there, but a few quotes I remember that my dad taught me. He said this, if you don't get bitter, you'll make it. I have a couple of quotes that I just wrote down. These are called dad quotes, dad lessons. One day I'm going to write a book called Walks with Dad, and it's going to be chapters about points and lessons he taught me. What did dad teach me? If you don't get bitter, you'll make it. He would say this. He would say, this is it. This is it. I go, what's it? He goes, right now, here, today. This is the day the Lord has made. Make the most of right now. He was a this is it kind of guy. He would say this. Read the word, Paul. Speak the word, Paul. Confess the word over yourself daily. Personalize the scripture. We have pastors telling you, you're not David, and that problem you're facing is not Goliath, and you're not Peter, and you're not James. Okay, I get it. I'm not the Bible characters. But don't talk me out of finding myself in the word. I got to find myself in the word. You need to find yourself in the word. You need to let Psalm 23 become a personal psalm for you. You go, yeah, but Paul, I'm not King David. I didn't live in it. We get it. But we have some of these like intense reformed pastors trying to talk people out of personalizing the scriptures. And what it's doing is it's teaching the next generation to detach themselves from the word. When you actually need to get yourself in the word, you need to get the word inside of you. My dad would say, be in church every week. He was pretty intense about this. This might sound legalistic to some of y'all, but my dad was intense. He had a, he had a very strong emphasis on get in church unless you're on family vacation And then we're going to have church on family vacation because we're not missing church. 
He would say, give thanks. I remember when we went through a house fire. We lost everything. And he would say, let's give thanks. Let's give thanks. Let's give thanks. What? Because God is always good no matter what you go through. Never stop giving thanks. By the way, the language of humility is gratitude. How many of y'all were here last week when we talked about pride versus humility? <laughs> Thank you for stay, staying in the room. <laughs> but uh, there was this moment where, um, where there would be moments in our family, in our journey, in our church journey, where we would walk through circumstances. And dad would say, let's give thanks. Let's give praise to God. And it never made sense to me until I got older. Here's what I realized. You got to flip the script on the enemy. The enemy wants you to say what you feel. But the power is not in speaking what you feel. The power is praising God regardless what you're walking through. Habakkuk said, I will still praise the Lord even when I'm losing cattle, even when there's a famine out there. I refuse to stop worshiping God. Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. So always give thanks. My dad would say, don't give up no matter what. Here's, here's these quotes, and here's why I say these. Because there is a father in heaven who's speaking the same thing to you. Maybe you grew up with a, a father on earth that wasn't there for you. Maybe you grew up in a father here on earth that was maybe sent to prison or a father that was abusive verbally or physically or sexually. But can I tell you, you have a father in heaven who is pure in heart and who has a great love for you. And he cares for you. And he sees you. And he loves you. And he's not forsaken you. And I know Father's Day might be hard for some because you're going, Paul, you just don't understand the dad I grew up with. I ran into a guy today. I went to the gym this morning, and this guy was in the parking lot, and I said, how you doing? He said, I'm, I'm struggling. I said, why? He said, my dad was never there for me growing up. And he said, we had just a really terrible relationship all growing up. And then he said, then all of a sudden in the last year, he decided he wanted to have a relationship with me. And he said, I'm, you know, I'm a full-grown adult. And um, he leaned in and he, he said, I, you know, he, he tried to be there. And then he died a few months after he leaned in in that final last year. So he said, I'm just struggling because I'm thankful that he leaned in, that he wanted to have a relationship. But Father's Day is tough. And I understand to a degree that Father's Day is tough for some in the room. But don't let that get you to believe that you don't have a father in heaven who cares for you and who's speaking the words that I'm sharing to you today. Don't give up. We need you. Your presence is more important than your perfection. That's what my dad would, he would emphasize this. He wouldn't necessarily say those words, but he would say, Paul, more important than you scoring 30 points is you showing up to the game. More important than you nailing that piano recital is you showing up to the recital. Your presence is more important than perfection. Honor all people. Treat everyone with respect. My dad would say, how you treat the janitor is how you treat everyone. How you treat the guy that you might think, uh, in, in some cases, how you treat this person, how you treat children, how you treat someone who can do nothing for you matters. Honor all people. Then he would say, little things matter. If we mowed the lawn, he would say, there's a line you left over there. Go finish the lawn. The whole lawn's mowed. Yeah, but you missed a line over there. Go and finish that line. You didn't weed eat the whole area. Go finish the whole yard. Take out the trash. Little things matter. Change the diaper. Wipe the baby's bottom. Change the diaper right. Everybody say, little things matter. 
Perseverance and a good attitude is more important than winning games. We would lose a lot throughout high school and middle school sports. But more important than winning a game, my dad would say, have a good attitude and don't quit the season before the season is over. By the way, shout out to ORU baseball team who made a comeback yesterday and beat TCU. Man, I am loving watching ORU. How many of y'all have been watching the World Series? It was so good. All right, back to, back to the message. Impacting people is more important than impressing people. Impacting people. More important than getting people to clap is leaving an impact on people. Consider the source when you hear criticism or discouragement. Consider where it's coming from. My dad would always say that. Consider the source. Do they love you? Do they care for you? And is what they're saying, does it hold truth? If so, change, get better. But if it's just unnecessary criticism and they don't love you, they don't care, it's just social media you know, aimed at you, then keep moving forward. The, the, like he would say, the dogs bark, but the train keeps rolling. Love is greater than hate. Love is greater than hate. Forgiveness is the only way forward. There's no such thing as fair. Life throws curveballs. Don't expect everything to always be fair. Find a way to move forward. Be there, Paul. Be there for your children one day. I remember my dad, the last thing he did publicly was my wedding. And I got to spend some time with him in the hospital talking about marriage. And he would say, one day you're going to be a dad. He never got to meet our kids. But he, he knew that one day he said, you're going to have kids, Paul. And when you do, be there. Be there for them. Be there on their big days. Be there on their bad days. Be there for big decisions. Just try to be there. Try to be there. Try to be there. You may not be perfect, but try to be there. So let's talk about what our Heavenly Father, why He loves us, and what He does for us. I just, I got like, these are my last three points. I know I just gave you a bunch of points, but these are the main three points right here. Three things your Heavenly Father gives you the way that He loves you and trains you and equips you to be who He's called you to be. Number one, your Heavenly Father gives you gifts, He gives you and I gifts. There were gifts that my dad gave me. There were gifts that my mom gave me, gifts that my wife gives me. There's gifts that we give our kids. This last week, I, I gave one of our kids the gift of a fishing pole. He's been asking for a fishing pole. He told me, Ryan Edwards let me use his fishing pole. I was like, okay, I'm going to beat Ryan Edwards. <laughs> there he is over there. So I had to give my son. I gave my son a fishing pole. And, and, and gifts are important. How many of y'all appreciate gifts? Especially gifts from your dad. They're meaningful. They matter. Your heavenly father. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 9. Jesus said, you fathers here on earth, you know how to give good gifts. When your son asks you for bread, you don't give him a rattlesnake. Unless you're, I'm not going to say it. You're not going to do that. You're not going to give them a snake. You're not, when, you're, when your daughter asks you for help, you're not going to turn around and, and hand her a scorpion to sting her. He says that, that would be foolish, that would be mean, it would be cruel. And then he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts if you ask him for it? God wants to give you gifts. God wants to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he also wants to give you the gifts of favor, the gifts of courage, boldness, grace, the gifts of faith, the gifts of, of, of wisdom. God has so many gifts for you. 
I remember hearing this story when I was younger about this statue that was in Asia. And it was the largest statue in this town in Asia. True story. And it had become old and uh, it just looked bad. People would walk past it. They would spit on it, throw their gum on it, leave trash in it. It had a little fountain that stopped working. So it just began to pile up with trash. And it became a sore sight to the whole city. And people would say, gosh, this is so ugly. It's so messed up. It's cracking. It's, it looks terrible. It's not good. It's not worth anything. Can we get rid of it? And so one day, the mayor of the city got some tractors and bulldozers and said, we're going to remove this thing from the city. As they began to move this 30-foot statue, it began to crumble and crack, and it fell. And when it fell down, nobody expected to see what they saw underneath that statue there the whole time. As the rock began to crumble and fall and the trash began to, to, to spread out everywhere, inside this statue sat the largest piece of pure gold in all of Southeast Asia. It was worth millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars. Nobody knew it was there. The whole time, people were devaluing it, talking bad about it. They were getting rid of it until they saw what was inside of it. And I remember hearing that story, true story, and I started thinking about how the only one who knew what was inside that statue was the one who put it there in the first place. Hundreds of years before anyone else saw this statue, there was someone who placed gold on the inside. Can I tell you, there's a father in heaven who's placed gold on the inside of you. He's put value inside of you. He's given the gift of potential, and no one else might see it, but he sees it. He sees what's inside you. There's a king in you. There's a queen in you. Tell the person next to you, you don't know who you're sitting next to. There's more than meets the eye inside of me. There's more. Your father in heaven did not put you on earth for an accident on accident. He placed you on earth for a purpose because he made you on purpose. God put inside you gifts, talents, skills, potential. God's gift to us is our potential and our gift back to him is what we do with that potential. God gives us the gift of love. Nothing can separate us from that love, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. There's nothing that you walk through that will separate you from the love of God. That's a gift. That gift is always available. He gives us the gift of rest. In Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, when you're weary, tired, burned out on religion, come and find rest. It's a gift. It's a gift that God says. He says, I want to give you peace, peace for your soul, peace that passes all understanding. He gives us the gift of compassion. He sees what we're walking through. Your father sees your value. Your father sees your tears. Your father draws near to you. Your father gives you the gift of love and care. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Peter says, you can cast your cares on the father because he cares for you. That's a gift. The gift is that God is a father that is always open for business. He's never closed. He's not like Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. He's open every day of the week. He's available, and he's not too busy for you. That's a gift. Somebody say, that's a gift. God wants to give you the gift of courage. Paul told Timothy, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. The gift of courage. I remember when I was younger, I got some uh, sports stuff up here. I got my football, basketball because it was a big deal in our house, right? Sports was a big deal. Golf. My dad wasn't a great golfer, 
ball just stay right there. There we go. But he would take me out to the golf course and he would train me and he would teach me how to hit the golf ball. You guys ready for this? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Four. You're like, why are you aiming this direction? Okay, I'll aim over here. Here we go. Boom. But he would train me. He would teach me. Why? He was giving me the gift of his presence, but also the gift of training. He was teaching me something so that one day when I get older and he's gone, I know how to do that thing. By the way, fathers, when you spend time training your children in a sport, that goes with them for a long time into eternity. In the same way, when we take time in the gift of training them spiritually, that goes with them 20 years into eternity. My dad would teach me. He would give me the gift of a basketball, but then he would teach me how to shoot the ball. My dad was on one of my teams. We were part of a, a champions basketball team in Bixby when I was in fifth grade, and uh, they allowed any ages to play on the team. So it was me, my brother, it was a couple of guys that were like five, six years older than us, and then the oldest guy on the team was my dad. Legit, he had, a, he had a jersey, he was on our team. He was so excited to play basketball with us. He literally scored 15 points a game. He wasn't the fastest, but he would sit in the side and he would just say, you know, feed me the ball. And he would sit over there and he would just make three pointers on this side. But the gift of his presence, the gift of his training placed courage on the inside of me. He would say, you can do it, Paul. You got what it takes. He would speak those words of wisdom and life. Number two, your heavenly father gives you good gifts, but number two, he gives us discipline. A loving father disciplines their children. A loving father. Here's what Proverbs has to say. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, if you don't like the scripture, just email Proverbs and say, I got an issue with this, but don't email me. I get enough emails all the time. I got hate mail last week, but it's all good. Here's the point. Proverbs makes it clear discipline is important. Hebrews talks about this. If you're like, well, that's Old Testament. Hebrews says, don't despise the correction and the discipline from your heavenly father. He disciplines those he loves. I have felt discipline as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. It's not fun. It's not fun to be, to be in a time of discipline, correction. But can I tell you, when I go through it, I become better. I get stronger. Something happens on the inside of me. I feel cared for. I feel like someone's watching out for my future. They're saying, hey, listen, this was wrong, and we're going to help you get back on the right track. Proverbs 3, verse 11 through 12 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. We're talking about the love of the Father. He says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. I want the keys to come out. So we're talking about three things that your heavenly father gives you. Number one, he gives you gifts. Number two, he gives you discipline. When I was playing basketball this summer with, with the kids, we were shooting on the goal. And they really wanted to lower the goal down because it was easier to shoot on a lowered goal. And uh, so I let them do it for a little bit. We're out there. We're shooting on the lowered goal. And then I start dunking on the lower goal, and it felt really good. I was like, yes, we should just always play on the lowered goal. But it reminded me of a book I read by Tony Evans 10 years ago called Kingdom Man. 
And Tony said this in his book. He said, you know, we're in a society that is lowering the goal because it's too hard to shoot on a 10-foot goal. And when you lower the goal, you give your buddies high fives. Like, yeah, look, I just did a 360 dunk. I'm awesome. You feel awesome because you lowered the standard. It's harder to make it on a higher standard, but it'll make you a better player if you play on the right goal. And we're in a time where people, especially men, the enemy is trying to get men to lower the standard. And when we lower the standard, we might feel good, but we're not playing at the right level. And so I increased the goal back up to 10 feet. I said, guys, we can't lower the goal to make ourselves feel good. We gotta get it back higher. I know it's harder, but it makes us better. Discipline. Discipline says we can get better. No discipline is fun. I remember uh, there was a season where Coach JC in our church would wake me up at 5 a.m. I'm so glad this season is not happening anymore. But my first two years as pastor, he said, I'm going to help you. So the first two years as pastor, he would wake me up at 5 a.m. And I had to do burpees, not like actual burps. A burpee is like, it's a physical, I'm not going to show you what it is, but it's, it's a mixture between like you drop down on the ground, you do a push up, and then he had all this stuff. And then he would throw like intense medicine balls, not actual medicine, but like heavy, heavy, <laughs> thick. Y'all know what a medicine ball is? He would just throw it at me and I would have to catch it and then do sit-ups and push-ups. This is at 5 a.m. in the morning. Then he would make me run a mile around his neighborhood and he was like, I'm getting you ready for the journey of pastoring victory. It's gonna be tough. And I was like, I hate this. And he's like, no discipline is fun while it's happening. But later on, you'll be glad you did it. I was a referee when I was at ORU and I refereed football games, basketball games, soccer games, all the intramurals, and they paid us five bucks an hour. It was not worth the pay. I got yelled at, I got spit on, I got cussed out. I had like college guys thinking that intramural sports is like NCAA division one, like this, this, they missed their chance to, to play on the basketball team. So I remember times I would make calls and they hated my calls. But my role as referee was to keep the game right, to help hold up the rules. Imagine if referees left the sports field, if umpires left the baseball game and said, you guys figure it out, call your own fouls, call your own shots here. You decide what's a strike. If umpires left, if referees left the football game, left the basketball game, at some point it would become chaotic. And we'd go, we need you! Get back here. We need somebody to call the rules. We're in a society right now that's kicking referees out. That's kicking anyone out that's trying to hold a standard. And go, just let us do what we want to do. And God gave them over to their sinful desires in the Bible. Because they rejected his law. They rejected discipline. The Israelites scorned his rebuke. And they missed out on the promised land. God disciplines those he loves because he's trying to help us do this thing right so that one day when we die, there's a legacy that we are thankful to leave our children. And it's not a financial legacy more than it is a spiritual legacy. Number three, the third thing that our Heavenly Father gives us because he loves us is wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 1. The king of Israel said, listen my sons to your father's instruction listen my sons pay attention 
gain understanding for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon the directions of your Lord. See, we are called to go back to the wisdom of God. James says, anyone who lacks wisdom, ask God for it and he will give it to you. We're in a time right now where people are trying to figure out their own way apart from the word of God. This word that God has given us is the greatest wisdom we can use for our lives. And when we read it, and when we speak it, and when we believe it, and when we meditate on it, it begins to direct our steps in the right path. I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. We're gonna go into a time of prayer, worship, and surrender. And I can only imagine when Solomon was writing this that he was reflecting on his own father, King David. I think he was thinking about his sons who would one day lead Israel. And after he was gone, little did he know that there would be division in the nation of Israel. It would split. Then it would go into captivity. They would find themselves in a foreign place led by a Persian empire king. Nebuchadnezzar would take over the Israelites. I just imagine Solomon as a father is trying to look far down the road, 150 years, 200 years from now, going, am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And this is, this is our calling right now, is that we would lean back into the word of God and say, Lord, help me to seek wisdom. Help me to find wisdom. A couple weeks ago, I was asked to go and be with a group of pastors out of town, and it was gonna be a really exciting gathering with people that I really, you know, look forward to, to connecting with and being a part of this network thing. And then I found out it was my son's talent show the same day, Benaya. And um, I really was praying about it. I was like, Lord, what do I do? And I felt like the Lord said, be there for your son. Just, just give up this, this gathering and go be there for your son. So I was there and he didn't know that it was like something real big that I was giving up. He was like, you're not going to miss my talent show, right? I was like, all right, I'll be there. But I was thinking about just the importance in moments where we're not sure what to do, this or that. And we need wisdom. We can pray. We can ask God. We can talk to God. Even this morning, I woke up. Something was heavy on my heart. I don't know why. I had dreams that just stirred up just a sense of heaviness. So I began to pray. I had a cup of coffee. I began to worship, put on worship music. Then I called Pastor Larry Stocksdale. He's a pastor in my life. I just said, Pastor Larry, will you talk to me? Will you pray for me? At the end of the 15, 20 minute call, it, like, it just shifted. We all need fathers in our life. We all need someone that we can talk to. And when you can't find a father to call, you always have a father in heaven whose phone is never busy. He's not gonna ignore you. He'll listen to you. He'll hear your tears. He'll listen to your prayers. He'll hear what kind of night you had, what kind of sleep you had, what dreams you had, and then God will give you peace. He'll give you wisdom, direction. I've seen it happen in my life. I've seen it happen even in our kids' lives. There's been nights where our kids couldn't fall asleep, and we would say, at some point, you gotta ask God because me and mommy are falling asleep now. We're gonna fall asleep, and if you're still awake, don't wake us back up. We love you. We'll see you in the morning. It's gonna be okay. Or, you, you know, we, we care, like you're like, do you care? We do care for our kids, but we encourage them. Pray, lean into prayer. And the next day I've asked them, I said, hey, how was it? They said, well, I fell asleep after I prayed and asked God to help me fall asleep. And I've been there before. We all need a father 
that can help us fall back asleep, a father that can speak peace to us, a father that can talk us back into the right path, a father that says, hey, you're going to make it. You're going to get through it. It's going to be okay. All is well. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, I just pray that you would remind us all in this room of the love that you have for us, the care that you have for us, the training, the discipline, the wisdom, the gifts you've put inside of us. God, I thank you, Lord. You see every person here is valuable, that you've called every person. God, I thank you, Lord, that your anointing is on every person in this room. God, I thank you, Lord, that you've saved us, you've delivered us, God. You have forgiven us, and you have great plans for us. I just feel in my heart, my spirit, we're supposed to pray for all the men in the room. So I just want to invite up every man in the room down to the altar. If you are a man, come and join us at the altar of any age. Come and join us. And I want all the women just to get ready to pray. Y'all are going to pray for all the men in the room. I'm going to ask Pastor Ron McIntosh to come and help me pray for all the men. I see him as just a spiritual father in our church who really cares for the next generation and for all fathers and young dads and young sons. We need each other. And this church needs mighty men of God that feel encouraged to encourage others, that, that lean into the discipline of God to help impart discipline to their children, that lean into the care of a heavenly father to impart care, comfort, compassion to their children. Ron, would you just pray for all of us men in the room? Let's join together. Let's pray. Let's believe God. Father, I thank you for fathers, for men who would stand up and take a rightful role in this hour, in this season. Not shrinking back, but Lord Jesus Christ raising up in this season to be who they were created to be. I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, for a path to be opened that would allow people to step in to their destiny. Destiny as a husband. Destiny as a father. Destiny as a man of God. Destiny, Lord Jesus Christ, to step up and be in their identity who you've created them to be. Lord, for such a time as this, take the veil off their eyes that they're able to see with clarity who you are, that they not simply know about you, but they know you. To not only to know who you are, but to know what you've already done. To receive by grace, by faith, what you've done by grace. And Lord, simply to know exactly who you've created them to be in this season. Lord, how we thank you, how we praise you for the season now that we step into you as men that you've created us to be. If you believe that is the will of God, men, put your hands together and give him a shout in this season. As a declaration saying, yes, I step in what God has for me right now in this season. Come on, mighty men of God. Let's, men, let's just turn and face the church and let's stretch our hands out over all the women, the daughters, the wives, the mothers of this house, single moms in the room, all the different women across this room. Lord, we just pray, God, 
just for your hand on our church, God, on the women of this church. God, we just pray, Lord, for your blessing, God, your strength, your grace. God, use us as men in this hour, God, to bring love, to bring care, God, to bring compassion, to bring forgiveness, God, to bring healing to a land that's hurting. God, use us in Jesus' name to be a covering of protection, provision, God, wisdom, direction, God. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name, God, for every person that comes through these doors, God, that they would feel the love of the Father, that they would feel the love of the Father, that they would experience, God, the kindness of the Father, the goodness of the Father, the forgiveness of the Father, the healing power of the Father, the purpose that the Father has for their lives, God. And Lord, I just thank you in Jesus' name, God, that you've anointed us and you've anointed all those that come through this room, God, all the women in this room, Lord, for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, I want to ask us all just to pray this prayer. If you're, if you're here tonight, you need to surrender your heart to Jesus and repent of your sins. We're just going to all pray this together. And if you pray it and you mean it tonight, afterwards, I'd love to shake your hand, give you a Bible, connect with you here in the church. But let's say this together. Jesus, I surrender. I'm all yours. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead, and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins, and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Lord, use me for your purpose, your will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.